Good evening. Good evening. This is a big, uh, this is a big night for me because uh, when I was asked to preach, uh, number one, I, I was talking to Low, and uh, he, on his heart, you know, if you know Low, his desire is to have a, a relationship with Christ, and he wants to just make, he just wants to magnify that into everybody he ever meets into the world, and I can completely relate to that. But the one verse that I always think about, and that's you know been my goal, is the Shema. And the Shema is such a deep, incredible verse that I have never been able to uh, have the courage to try to tackle it because it's uh, it's an incredible, incredible piece of scripture. So I'm going to open with the verse, and then I'm going to open in prayer, and then we will see what the Holy Spirit reveals for us this evening. So the the goal of this is going to be where knowledge transcends all understanding and becomes our consciousness. And the Shema is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. That's portion 1. And that's where we're going to be camping out today. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit at your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as front tails between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." Well, Abba, Father, Lord Jesus, we just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will help us understand the depths of what this portion of Scripture really is saying. Father, you, as, as Lowell, your, your faithful servant, has such a deep, deep desire for us to know you, he gets that from his Father, you, Lord Jesus. And at the heart of this verse, Lord, it is your desire that we may become in perfect unity with you, Lord. Father, I lift up everybody in this room, including myself, Lord, that our hearts may be surrendering to you and that you may fall upon us, Lord, and teach us individually. Your word is specific for each one of us. You know each one of us individually. You know what our struggles. You know our personalities. You know us like each one of us are your own child intimately and father we thank you for this opportunity to worship and to listen to your word today be with us and guide our hearts and our souls amen all right so tonight i'm going to take a portion of the first portion and that will be as much as i think i can dig into for this verse tonight but and the verse that we're going to do is, Hear, O Israel, Lord God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. We're going to look at what that really means here today. Um, we're going to be digging into other portions a little deeper back and forth for context, but that's going to be the heart of it. Historical context, you know, I, I called it the Shema, and if you're not familiar with the Shema, it goes way, it goes, it's, it's, it's a very core aspect of Judaism. And uh, in, in historical context, Moses uh, delivered this message in Deuteronomy 6.4 at the end of 
um, the Israelites traveling through the desert. And it was a warning to them. Do not repeat the mistakes of their parents' generation. It was Moses teaching them to experience the full blessing of God as they enter into the promised land. Moses is commanding them to learn, to listen, to love God fully above all else. Jewish tradition is to pray the Shema every morning and every evening. If you, can, if you look at the, the magnitude of what was just said here, it's, it's, it's intimidating. <laughs> it's like, oh, how do I do that? I, I can, God, I'm going to love you with such intensity today. It's my new, I mean, how do you do that? We see Daniel prayed three times a day. In that, in that verse, if you know the heart of a Jew and what they were praying from Scripture, he was praying the Shema. And the Shema was, look at, the, look at the reaction God had to Daniel when he went and prayed three times a day. He was faithful. And when we read what happened to Daniel, they wanted, he went into a foreign land and they wanted him to eat the food of their land and to listen and become like them. Daniel, in his faith, he says, no. I'm a child of Christ, of God, and I'm going to stay my faithful to my God, and I'm going to continue my tradition to pray three times a day, and I'm not going to eat your food, and God blessed him. In other words, he obeyed the law. He wasn't going to become non-kosher, right? So he loved God more, and he was willing to pay the price to be separated you know, from, from, from the rest of the world. We also see it with uh, King David in Psalm 55, 17. King David, what a faithful, um, unbelievable servant. We oft, oftentimes look at his failures, but his superpower is repentance because he loved God with all his heart, all his soul. And he prayed three times a day. Evening and morning and noon, I will pray and I'll cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. And what an amazing prayer from King David. So it was, off those, it was off of these traditions that came off of uh, this, this teaching from Moses as, um, as they came into the promised land. And Ezra, when he came back to build the second temple, he kind of restored the tradition to pray three times a day. He had something called the Amidah. This is just historical context, which is a, a series of 18 prayers. But the morning and the night still include the Shema. If you've ever been to Israel or you've ever seen an Orthodox Jew, when you're on the plane going to Israel, you will see the Orthodox Jews in the airports or in the planes. When that time comes, they get up and they do their prayer. They pull the prayer shawl off. They're praying this. This is the verse they're praying. If you ever watch the TV show Chosen, one of the things Chosen does very well is they represent the Jewish culture pretty well. And you will see them when they wake up in the morning, they pray. And when they eat, they pray. And when they go to bed, they pray. That is true, true. That is truly a Jewish um, tradition, and it would have been true that Jesus would have been the same way. Um, he never rebuked the fact that he came to his father three times a day. He would, would a true father ever say that would be wrong? And praying the Shema was foundational to the culture, and to its uh, and and it's a good thing that they they did that. Oftentimes we look at the Jewish people. And we, we, we criticize them. But you cannot take away the, the commitment that an Orthodox Jewry teaches to, uh, come to, to come to the Lord three times a day. 
And this is, these are the verses that they, they breathe. God intended the Shema, though, to be more. It was to be a bridge. The Jewish people, it says to, love, you know, to write them on foreheads and wrap them on your arms. And I could just see God up there looking at them because he goes, oh, my God, look what my kids are doing now. They made boxes and put them on their forehead, and they wrapped it on their arms. That wasn't what God intended. He wanted it to be something much, much, much deeper. It wasn't something that was physically shown out. But the verses they have in those boxes is a, is a Shema. And Matthew in twenty two thirty six says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? So this, 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 this teacher came up to, to Jesus and challenged him. And, and he said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Now this is something we should probably pay attention to, right? When, when, if, if you had one question asked God, what is the greatest commandment? You're going to probably write it down. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. So if you look at the way this is, the second is to love your neighbor with, as I have loved you, right? The first five of the, of the Ten Commandments is about loving God. The second five is about loving your neighbor. This sums up all the, all the law. And he said, good, teacher, you answered correctly. I'm glad that the guy proved what Jesus said, but I'm sure Je- I'm sure Jesus probably loved him very much. So, so Shema seems pretty foundational, but why? What does it mean? Matthew seventeen twenty says, "Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you." Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, one tittle will by no means pass from the law until it is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks of the least of those commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least of the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does not teach them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. Some pretty strong words from Christ there. Kind of confusing words, though, because it, we're, on this side of the river, we're saved by grace and faith, right? That, that's, there's no doubt about it, but he's tying, he's saying, I am the law, I'm fulfilling the law. Society and kingdom without the law is lawlessness without no boundaries. If you look at the world today, do we see that? What happens when law breaks down? Chaos, absolute chaos. God is not about chaos. God's kingdom is a holy, holy, holy nation set aside. In a lawless world, God has given his commandments, laws, statutes, and set his kingdom and people apart. No matter, even on a good day, even in in a culture's most well-behaved moment, even in your own individual days when you're having a great holy day with Christ, there is lawlessness in your heart. That's why we need grace. That's why we need the, 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 the blood of Jesus Christ to cover, to cover that. But what Jesus is saying in, in, in the statement is he's like, I've come to fulfill law. I've come to bring my kingdom here. And I'm bringing people into my kingdom, and I want them to be like me. You are to, to strive to be like the rabbi. 
Scripture was intended to define culture, not culture defining Scripture. And that is defined by having, like any country, any marriage, any business, they have a set of laws, statutes, and things that define them. And God's kingdom has laws, statutes, teaching, and behaviors that he gave to us through Scripture, and that defines us. And we do not try to synchronize it with the culture. And the culture keeps pulling and pulling and saying, come be like us, come be like us. Or are we going to be like Daniel, who says, no, I'm not eating your food, and I'm going to pray three times a day. Our hearts and our souls should be defined by scriptures. It should not be defined. Our hearts and our souls should not be defined on what is of this world. The Shema does a supernatural work in our lives. Because when I got born again, we're going to get to this. It's part of this is a testimony because it's so hard to explain. But we become new people. The Shema reaffirms a personal relationship with God's rule. When we pray the Shema, we, we, we reiterate to, to, to that he is one. Now that can be argued that he is one God, one person. A lot of Jews will say that you know the Trinity cannot be true because of the Shema. This is the verse that they go, oh my God. I, I just say, well, does a husband and wife become one? Yes. Ah, okay, so it's possible. But it also means that he is it, it depends on how you break down, and there's argument, how you break down the scriptures, but he is number one. Either way, it stands. Reciting the Shema is as if receiving the kingdom of heaven or God himself. Actually, all, all scripture is that way. It's like eating. We see the scriptures where they eat the scroll and it's like filling our hearts and our souls with, with his word, the pure spiritual food that we require daily, right? Our, our daily bread. But the Shema is like receiving the kingdom of heaven when you look at the very cornerstone of what it means about a relationship with Christ. Shema is an action and a response prayer between God and his chosen. It's not, and I had to learn this, God, I, I really need you to do things for me. No, it's, God says, I want you to do things for me too. And I want you to seek me. And I want you to follow my thing. It says in the Shema, it's, I mean, hear, O Israel, the God, the Lord is one. He loves, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And these words which I command to you today, there's a commandment in there. And in the very beginning verses, it really hits it hard when we come to that. So it's not just about you know, having a feeling or emotion. There's much more there. To walk with God is to have opposition to the world. And when we walk with God, this is the hard part, because when we, when we start to do what the Shema asks us, to walk with the Lord, guess what? We find ourselves... At, at, at odds with, with, the, with, with the world. In fact, nowadays, I will give you the for sure proof of testing if your theology is, is correct. This goes 100%. Take your theology question and look at it and say, does the world agree with that? 
If the world agrees with it, you better recalculate your, your interpretation of that scripture. I can't find anything nowadays that the world says, yes, I think that's the great way to go, the way God commanded. It is a 180-degree rule. Satan wants that. Satan is, is an imposter. He wants to pull us as far away from Christ as he can. And Jesus in this verse is saying, no, I want you as close and intimately close to me as you can imagine. More than you can, you, more than you can know, and you will not know until you are in heaven how close I want to be to you. If we look, I know that uh, um, Pastor Lowe is studying Samuel right now. And when you look at the difference between King Saul and King David, two different houses, right? King Saul, they wanted a king like all the other nations, right? Now, that, that, that was lawlessness. King Saul was influenced by too, by too, much, too much by the public opinion. He feared the word of the Lord more, he feared the, the, the world more than he feared God. He saw the desire to be like, like, desired to be like a worldly person in insecurity, jealousy, and paranoia. That's what led his heart. Now contrast that, 180 degrees. Let's look at, let's look at King David, right? And he was not perfect. But when he made a mistake, he was on his knees. He was, his superpower is repentance. He desired God's opinion. He feared God. He desired the relationship with God and security in God, not the world. That was the heart of, of King David. And that's what the Shema is. The Shema is exactly that. God is calling us not to be in this world. That's what Moses was saying. I've had you in the desert. Do not make these mistakes. You kept on wanting to go back to Egypt. I've kept you and I sanctified you. Now I'm bringing you into the promised land, the land that I've set aside for you, my land, my house. But you got to be holy when you come into this land because it's my house. You're my representatives here. And God wanted them to, 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 be, to, to, to understand that. And the question is, we know that that happened back then, but is that relevant today? Does Jesus still want us to know and pray the Shema? How does it affect Scripture? Is it still there, or is it some of those Old, Old Testament things? We, we know that God is the same in the beginning and as the end, and all Scripture is still there. The Shema broken down means to hear or to learn, to listen, to obey. And here's the hard part, all time, all the time. So let's look at the verse that leads into the, the, our verse for today. It's Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. We're studying 4 and 5 right now. So this is this was Moses' uh, uh, entry into the into the Shema. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statute judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach, to hear, to learn. You that you may observe, to listen to them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statues, to obey. Now this is tied directly to love. And, and his commandments which I command you. So that, now why are we going through all this? We're about to hear it. God, he's going to tell us why. You and your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life, 
and that your days may be prolonged. What does that mean? For eternity. This has, this has historical effect of what has come and gone with God, what God was doing by bringing a, a, a particularly strange people from Egypt out of slavery through the desert and gave them the land. But that is also a, a pattern for him taking you and I, which, he gave, which he's going to take us out of this world and bring us into his kingdom. And our days will be prolonged. And he will be our God. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, your Father, has promised you a land flowing with milk and money, honey. That, that land with milk and honey sent him a pattern for heaven. It was, he, we, we have such an amazing testimony and witness of what it means when we follow his ways and how, how they prospered in this, even today. How would they prosper in Israel? Israel is, is, is a pattern for the eternal kingdom. And God in heaven is what he's saying. And ultimately in this verse is like, if you follow this, I shall bring you into my kingdom for eternity. That's his promise. So my problem, as I alluded to when I first read the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. So I was on fire. You know, I, I was reading the Bible for the first time. And that was the, you know, this was the time that it was about 30, I was about 30 years old. God says, I, he gave me the desire to read the word of God, like, like nonstop. So I started with Genesis. I said, I want to know the whole Bible. I'm going to start the whole Bible. Day in, day and night, I was reading, reading, reading. I'm loving it. I'm going through it. And it was challenging. But I was loving it, and I was seeing things that I couldn't have ever seen. My notes back then are so deep still to this day, I can't comprehend how, how the Spirit was, was teaching through me. But then I ran to this verse, and I had no idea this was an important verse in the Bible. I just, I read it, and I went, oh, how can I love God with all my heart, all my soul? I sat back, and I think, all right, if I want to get in shape, I can make a commitment to go run. I want to learn something, I can go take a class. But how do, how do you say, I'm going to love God today? I'm just, I'm, I, I don't have the ability to turn my heart on and off. So it seemed like it was an impossible commandment. And it floored me. How can I love the Lord that much? Does God need me to love him to save me? These were questions that I was just struggling with. And just to let you know how intense I was with this, I was the church I was at, um, I, I, I showed up and I, we had a very faithful pastor and he was in the younger years where he was still having young children and he, his wife was pregnant and he had a bunch of little ones running around. So he was, you, I looked at him, he just loved his children. You could see the joy that his children brought him and his family and his bride. And he just, you could see how much they loved him. And I went into his office and I said, do you love God more than your wife and your children? Because I, I, I knew he didn't. I looked at him. I watched him preach, and I could see love. I could see the passion. He dedicated his life. But I also saw him look at his children, and his face just like lit up like a, like a shining ember. And I was like, how can, that, how can we do this? How can we love God that much? And his... 
his answer when I asked it to him? He goes, he looked at me with a sad face, and he says, no, I love my children that much. And that was an honest answer. And if he had told me something else, he would have, I would have not been able to believe him anymore because I could see. I could see he was, and, and I don't think that made him a less of a man at all. I think it made him a greater man than he answered honestly. Because honestly, when we read this, I'm sure there are people that, um, and I know there are people that have just raised above this. And, but at this point in that man's life, he was just enthralled with the little kids that God had given to him and the joy. And he, he gave God the credit, and he was faithful, but that was that love. You know. can, can God come in second or third or fourth place? That was my question. Well, is it possible for God to come in second or third place? These are difficult questions, right? Let me ask you, where does it say that if you love God, he will save you? So that was where I ended up. I'm like, okay. It says I need to love God that much, but I don't think it says that. It says that I have to love him that much to be saved. And that, that gave me hope. But there was still this deep desire in my heart, how do I love God? It's just, look at this verse, and it's all through the Bible. It's everywhere. I, the more you read, the more you can see the, the penetrating witness of this testimony through all portions of Scripture. And it was, it was a deep struggle. We're going to look at this today. Salvation is not earned, it's by, by works, including loving God. In Romans 10, 8 um, through 10, it says, but what, God, what, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That is what the cornerstone that we need. To... So all my anxiety, although the desire to know how to love God fully, was good. But my salvation was in this. And it took me a long time, trust me, it took me a long time, and I think a true repentant heart struggles with the ability that God can forgive us for all of our sins. I think, I've, how many Christians have I met that are great, wonderful Christians, and they too says, how can God forgive me? I'm, I, they all went through that time where, not me, I, <laughs> I've done so many bad things, you know, and no, trust me, God can forgive you. So my testimony, what brought me to that point where it be, to where I to where I was seeking God and started reading the Bible. I'm going back in my testimony now. So I'm, I'm before I was saved. I had grown up in a in a in a in a religious family, but the Word of God was never really present. I mean, we we did everything within the church, but we never did anything for. It. We did things as a community. But the word of God was not it was not the was not the I, I it just never resonated with me. I had so many questions, and so I made a deal with God that I would not get confirmed, and but at the right time I would. And it, it, when I was about thirty years old, God was knocking at my door, and I tried to I tried to reengage with Him, and started going back, and 
the same struggles were there. And I, I'd, I'd made, and I made a deal with God, and he, wasn't, he was not living up to my deal. I mean, I, I said, God, I'm going to come to you when I get older, when I can settle down a little bit and I can focus on this. That's, that was essentially what I said to God. And I could see him up there and, and put a box on my head and a wrap around my, my, around my arm, right? And I got so exasperated with Christ that I shook my hand at him. And I, from my fist, I said, God, I am not only going to not follow you, I'm going to come against you. I said, that to, I said that to God. But what I was really basically saying without knowing it was, I believe in you, but I don't know you. Why are you not here? And God heard my cry. He heard me say, I've tried, but you're not here. So you know how things just happen in God's kingdom. God would win the lottery every time. Short, like a week or two later, after I said I'm going to fight him, uh, I had a, a lunch with a with a, a friend, and he was too coming to Christ. And he looked at me because he knew I grew up in a in a pretty uh, religious family. So he started asking me questions about salvation, and I couldn't answer him. And I was like, wow, Why are you asking those kind of questions? You know. But I knew they were good. And he looked at me, he goes, John, maybe you should try a different place. And I said, No. I know I got the right place. He goes, there's a church, and it was the place that God used. It was a big mega church here in this area. And so I thought about it, and, and I'm like, okay, God, I'm giving you one last chance. One last chance. And I walked into that church, and I'm, before I walked in in the back, I said a prayer. I said, God, if this is where you want me to be, bring me there. You show me. Show me that you're there. And I walked in, and one of the, I had three questions I always asked, and one, three questions that I outlined when I didn't get confirmed is, one, if you come and just check it off the list, what, does God care about that? I mean, can I be holy for one day, and, and a, one hour, and one, one day of the week, and be good to go? That was my first question. So I walk in, and number one, I saw people were happy to be there. That was kind of different. But I went in, I sat down, and a guy came and sat next to me, and he, and he sat next to me, and he says, hey, my name is Paul. Good to meet you, Paul. And he says, first time here or I haven't seen you around? And I'm like, I think it's a giant church. How can he not know that? And uh, I go, nope, my first time. He goes, you kind of got that look. And he goes, yeah, my first time I came here, I used to just check it off the list. Now I come because I love it. That's what he said to me. Okay, God. Well, we talked. A lot of things happened. We went to the car. Somehow or another, he parked next to me and he gave me a Bible. And what was my prayer? God, show me you, yourself. Uh, my, my fist was up. Where are you? That was Holy Spirit. That's the Shema. That's the Shema. How do you teach that? How do you explain that to people? How do you teach them the power and magnitude and love of God? Romans 10, 3-4, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. My exodus moment was that moment. Right? He brought me to that moment and he says, Now I'm going to give you something. 
and I'm going to start teaching you about me. And so I started. I started learning about him until I ran the Shaman, and I was like flabbergasted because I didn't know if I could do it. Exodus 3 through 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. God knew my sorrows, and he, and he came. He knows your sorrows. He knows your sorrows. He knows your sorrows. He's not, he's, not, he's not blind. He's with you every step of the way. So how can I love the Lord that much? I can't. But God can teach me. Does God need me to love him to save me? No, but God can God come in second, third, or fourth place? He should not, but he often does. Right? Idols. My salvation, my blessed assurance is my grace that God gave to me. Because when I look at these answers and I look at the standard of the Shema, we all fall short. It's, not, it's, it's a commandment that is unreachable. But it's not cruel. It's what, if, if God were to say, I'm a pretty holy God. If you, you know, if you get graded on a D, I'll let you slip in. Does that sound like God? No. So why would he put that in scripture? <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For my grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but is the gift of God, not the works, lest anyone should boast. We see that all of our relationship with Christ, salvation, provision, security, is from God. God brought me out of the desert. In 1 first, in John 4 through 19, we love him because he first loved us. God first loved me, even though I shook my fist at him. I had no idea how to love God. Nobody taught me the true way of loving God. I thought, go in and check it off the list, and then you take a thing on your tongue, and you're good to go. I knew that wasn't right. David knew that wasn't right in the, in the scriptures. He knew there was more. Saul didn't know. Da King, you know Daniel knew. Luke twenty two forty says, Saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, my will be yours be done. That's what Jesus had to do in a, in, 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 before he walked onto that cross, willingly. He was, he was at the, the Mount of Olives, up on, and, and he didn't want to go. But what did he do? He says, I will obey my Father. What is that? That's a love. He loved the Father by obeying the Father. There's a connection between following Christ with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength and obeying him and not being like the world, not being like the Saul's of the world, but being like the David's of the world. Jeremiah 31, 31, 33, Jesus is the fulfillment of all scriptures. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I have made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my new covenant which they broke, my, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this 
is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How do I love God? <laughs> I, he needs to write it on my heart. Where does it, where does it say anything in the this, in this scripture about me being obedient, knowledgeable, faithful? I mean, faithful, yes, you have to be faithful, obe obedient. But there's a sin nature that's in all of us. It's an incurable thing. Only God can super overwrite the sinful law that's in our heart with his law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. It's a long-term goal. And God, said, and God said, even back in the Old Testament, the prophets who, who knew the law, and the law was everything to them because that was where they got forgiven at that time. They knew there was more. They knew that God was going to eventually come and, was gonna, and he was going to take away that burden. God will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. Moses, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel all had attitudes alluded to the new covenant. Love in context. Matthew 24, 11, 12, many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people love will grow cold. What do we see today? Lawlessness. What do, we, do we see love in the world? It's growing cold. We're, the, the, we're, we're all wanting to be like Saul. We want tickling ears. Deuteronomy 10, 5, 10 says, we're going to go through a bunch of scriptures here just to look and, as witnesses to what is what we're saying but showing loving kindness to, to thousands to those who love me and to keep my commandments tied to uh, keeping my commandments is equal to love Deuteronomy eleven thirteen and verse 22 it shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments which I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and all your soul for if you are careful to keep my commandments, which I am commanding you to do, you love the Lord your God to walk in all of his ways and to hold fast to him. Keep all his commandments, love the Lord your God, and, and, and hold fast to him. That's the Shema, it's to hold fast to him. There's many ways of saying this, but it's, it's definitely tied. To love is being tied to not an emotion, but to a, a verb, an action. Not that it is not an emotion, because all of us know, we've traveled with Christ, the, the, the emotion does come. Deuteronomy 30, 16. In that, command that you, in that command you today to love, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land that you are entering it. In Nehemiah 1.5, it says, I said, I beseech you, I ask you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness of those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel 9.4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him, and keep his commandments. 
What about on this side of the river, the New Testament? We, we read a lot of this old stuff about commandments. If you love me, this is John 14, 15, and 21, okay? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John also wrote, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and disclose myself to him. The Shema. 1 John 5.23 By this we know that we shall that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and that his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. It was such a burden for Israel because they could I, they would walk they'd walk five feet from the temple and they'd have to turn around and probably sacrifice five more lambs because they were we're sinful, right? That sinners do what sinners do. They sin. And it was a, they would, can you imagine, they, they, they literally were doing what I, what I was trying to do. God, I'm going to love you today. And then I would stub my toe and say something and I would commit a sin. Somebody would get in line in front of me and I would commit a sin. Right? That, it was impossible. But how can it not be burdensome? It's a little burdensome for me today because I, I you know, the law does. It puts a mirror in front of me and shows me that I'm sinning. It doesn't, it doesn't forgive my sins, but it's a mirror. And it is also a foundation of what God is doing through the scriptures. It's a testimony. Many, you need many testimonies. Scripture interprets scripture. 2 John 1.6 says, And this is love, that we, are walk, that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. From the beginning. The beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. God does not change. He doesn't change his scriptures. There is a correlation between love and obedience and walking with him as Enoch did. Why so many struggle with the book of James? Hmm? If you ever read the book of James, it's like, wow, man, this guy's making me do all sorts of stuff, but my salvation is not caused by, by works. People struggle with that. Why is that? Because the church has gone so far from I can live my own way and God still loves me. James is like making me do all this stuff. The book of James is there for a reason, for a day, a day like today. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? This is James 2.14. Can that faith save him? James 2.17. Even so, faith, if it has no works, it is dead being by itself. Can you imagine being married and never having any relationship with your wife or husband? Evidence of faith is works because we start to become like our rabbi. Remember, we said God wants to take us from a fallen world and bring us into his kingdom, not let us stay in, in the mess that we've put ourselves in in the garden. He wants to take us out. The 180 degree, degree rule. If you look at the temple of God in, in, the, in, the, in, the, book, in the book of Exodus or even in the, New, in the New Testament when Jesus came, the temple of God was a house of prayer and the Shema is a prayer in a song. We miss it because we don't understand that that, that, that verse is supposed to be sang with, with joy and passion and dancing because it's that, it's that wonderful. 
Dependence on God is the house of the Lord. Love your neighbor, humbleness, compassion, holiness, tree of blessing. All those things are representative of, and we could go on and on. We're not going to do that. This is not a study of that. But what does the house of God look like? What is the house of Saddam and Gomorrah? Remember those two houses? What did they look like? Remember they had gates? We have gates in our own lives. We, have, we, we let people in and out of our lives. We let thoughts in our lives. We, they had gates. The elders had the gates, and they are corrupt. They let anybody come in. They let anything go. They, 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 they had pride, lack of, lack of empathy, arrogance, exploitation, lack of purity, and the tree of good and evil was, was rapidly having fruit in that place. Where in God's temple, it was God's holy tree that we see in the two trees in the garden. We also see it in, in the, 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 temp, the, the great teaching of blessing and the curses in, in the in Old Testament. God will bless you if you obey me, and he'll curse you if you disobey me. Mount Gerzim, in, 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 you know, they put, the, they put uh, two, two people on two different hills with the, with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle. It said, these are the blessings and these are the curses. I shall bless you and I shall curse you. God takes this stuff seriously. What was God teaching us? Deuteronomy 27, 8, the blessing of curses is a, is a picture of what it is to bow the knee, to surrender, and to say, God, I want to love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my might. Sodom and Gomorrah and Saul and all the others, they're what it means to say, I just want to get by. I want to be like the world. I want to know, no inconvenience from you, God. Abolish the law, commandments, statutes, is to abolish love. Do we ever hear that from the church? There is no, there is no law. There is no statutes. That's to abolish law. And it says, God even said, if you do this, love will grow cold. Look at the world today. His promises are true and faithful. If we, if we, if we have a hard time struggling, I understand it's hard to understand but we see the ramifications actually coming true, what God says will happen if you do this, and it's happening everywhere. No law, no commandments, no statutes. What country, what city, what business, what house, what marriage does not have boundaries established by com commandments, statutes, and laws? Is there any of those institutions that could possibly stand without having a wall around it saying, this is my kingdom. This is my marriage. Our commitment together. We will not commit adultery. We will walk and become as one. Or it could be, I'll be my person, you be my person, and we'll just get along and it'll, it'll, it'll last, right? There's no boundaries there. And what happens in those situations? What happens when a country doesn't have boundaries? What happens when a business says, I don't really have a mission. I just do whatever I want to do. It's impossible. It's ridiculous. So why would the church say, I don't need boundaries. Grace. Leave me alone. Grace. God's house is holy because God's law is holy. It's what separates us. It's what makes us an independent, peculiar people. God's law separates us from the world and lets us see the world in ourselves. It takes us out, but it also, instead of looking at the rest of the world, go, ha, <laughs> You know what? It also shows us the need for grace every day, every minute, every second. 
it shows us the need for his blood and, and sacrifice. By no means is obeying the law counted as works for, for salvation. Law does not save, but shows us the need for grace. And I, I'll say that over and over and over again, but when you say the law, people are going to come back at you and say the law is dead. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone shall boast. That is our promise. So when I was struggling with, those, with the, this question about how to love God, that saved me. But you know what? I've, I've had a chance to, to minister and to talk and to meet a lot of new Christians. Many of them come into church, and they walk away totally disheartened because they think that they have to, they hear it. You've got to love God. You've got to love God. And they think, they were just like me, and I totally relate with them. They say, I don't love God. There's something wrong with me. I don't belong in his family. He doesn't like me. I, I don't love God. You know what? How far was I from God when I shook my fist at him and said, I'm not going to work. I am not going to even come close to you. In fact, I'm going to work against you. Now, if somebody would come up and says, yeah, you're, 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 that, you, you don't have that, that, that emotional feeling towards God, you're, you're, you might as well just go down the road. But a mature Christian who says, I understand. You just want to know him. That, that disagreement, that anger inside you, that frustration, it's because you want to know him, and you just haven't figured it out yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't made the connection. Saved by, saved by faith through grace, grace is our blessed assurance, but grace is required because the curse is still active within each one of us and prevents us from fully loving God. I don't care who you are, if you're a super Christian, whatever, you cannot fully love God. We all will fall short. Because if we look at the many scriptures we looked at, it says, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Nobody obeys his, this word in its fullness. That's why we do communion. It's why we constantly talk about grace and love of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. The concept that being born again, Christians do not need God's law is... The concept that born-again Christians do not need God's law is saying that God does not have any moral, spiritual boundaries or expectations. This is hyper-grace, and this is popular in different levels within the church. God has boundaries and walls. In fact, he is the gatekeeper, and nobody comes in through him. And those walls are his commandments, and it is, it is the holy, holy, holiness that is in those walls. And when you come into his kingdom, he, he's, it says in Beatitudes, you've got to be perfect. How does that happen? That's, that's the struggle I had. How do I ever rise up to that occasion? I don't think I'm going to make it, God. I don't think I'm going to make it. I, 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 I know you're true. Hypergrace is lawlessness, and it causes love to grow cold. Hypergrace is why the church has little, if any, impact on society. Like Saul, we use grace as an excuse to synchronize our lives with society. It's when we don't obey his commandments, when we don't synchronize our lives with this, and we synchronize it with our own, our own ways. They die because of their lack of knowledge. 
2 Timothy 4, 2 through 4, says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. Just like the Lord. <laughs> I mean, I'm shaking my fist at him, and what did he do? He poured abundant love on me. He did it first. For the time will come when they will not endure sound, endure sound doctrine. Hmm, sound familiar? But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away from the ears from their truth and will turn aside the myths. I'm telling you, I've been on a walkabout. The pastors are being pressured in this world to water it down, to change, to, to be like the world and not, not obey these commandments. Let me tell you, the person I was before Christ is a 180 degree difference from what I am today. I would look at myself as being pretty mainstream, not, you know, not evil in this world, but you know, maybe not the greatest guy, but I was, you know, okay. God took basically everything that I had as, as thoughts and rewrote them and changed everything. I can't even believe, if my old self looked at me today, it wouldn't even understand what happened or how it could have happened. And the only reason was because I ate the spiritual word of God. Okay, how do you explain this to people? Like Lowe's every day up here trying to say, how do I teach people to have a relationship with Christ? The Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. How do I do that? It's supernatural, people. It's by the Holy Spirit. Some people might not want to hear that. They want to be able to follow an instruction booklet. It's not. Oral law passed down by generation to generation, the same as the Pharisees in Jesus' day on earth, is much of our problem. Because the more we, the more generations teach error, the more we, the more and more it gets passed down. And I'm not going to get into this, but we have a lot of oral law in our, when, we, when pastors and preachers go in, into school and synagogue, they're not reading this as much as they're reading this teacher and that teacher and that teacher. That's exactly what the Pharisees did, Maimonides or the Rambam. And they do this day. They, 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 do the, they don't go to this. They read the, te the teacher's notes. Let's say it's Calvin or Lutheran or... Whoever, name, 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 there's really good ones. Most of it's true doctrine. But we divide it up based on our, we obviously follow many different teachers because we've got many different denominations. Is it the oral law that's running us or is it the word of God? We're just like them. And we raise ourselves above them. Well, we're, we're, we have the same, we're, we're human. They were human. We all have this problem. That's why we're humble because <laughs> we are, we all, we all have these problems. Righteousness is defined by God's law, not by our, not by our law. Psalm 119, 142. Your righteousness is everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. There's a correlation there between your righteousness and your law. Your kingdom is holy, 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 righteous, righteous, righteous. And it's defined by the walls and the characters and the governance that falls upon your shoulders within that kingdom. And those are the things that God says, I'm going to write on your heart. 1 John 2, 2, 4, 
The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep my commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Matthew 7, 21, 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does not the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and your name cast down demons and your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me who practice lawlessness. That breaks my heart. These people think that they're going to be saved. Where did they go wrong? By their works? By their knowledge? They didn't know the Shema. Did they ever struggle with what it means to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might? This entire message is about growing closer to God. It's not about being a great Christian because I can follow the law. It's about the law is so far beyond my comprehension that I need grace. But it doesn't mean that I don't strive. When God's knowledge transcends all understanding and becomes our consciousness, when does that happen? When God's law is written onto our heart. We're on a journey, people, and that's the end. Believe it or not, at the end of this walk, you will have no more You'll be clothed in white linen. You'll have no more, no more sin in your heart. That, that burden that you feel when you, when you cringe because of your sinful nature, gone, wiped clean. And Jesus, and you'll be able to look in, at his glory face to face. And unity between Christ and Jesus will be inseparable. Like a husband and wife that grow together, we are to grow with Christ. We are to become one with Christ. That pattern is throughout the whole Bible. Hear, listen, obey all the time. This is the second time I've read this, but I don't, I'm not going to go through it just because of time, but to hear, to listen, to obey all the time is the commandment. When we surrender and become like King David and acknowledge God as our Lord and our security comes from Jesus, then we start to move in the right direction. Salvation is by grace, through faith. That is when we become patrolled to Christ. Okay, we, sometimes we think it is done. I'm all, I'm all set. I can do whatever I want now. I am God's king. king I mean, I'm, 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 I'm a holy person now. Does that even make sense to you? Does it pass the common sense test that I was born again and now I'm just this beautiful person saved person on the planet earth that has just a shining light I'm tripping over my sinful nature daily and anybody who says they're not they're not, they're not being truthful they're ashamed we become his and, and he will send us a helper like when Mary met Joseph they had to wait and then Joseph's job would come like a thief in the night to come get him and then they they, Jewish marriage isn't like uh, like we where we're engaged and we're kind of just planning. No, they're, they're they're engaged. That's a contract. There's a price to be paid. Whole other teaching. The helper is is the Holy Spirit. And then, at that point, when we say yes to Jesus and He says yes to us, 
right? He comes. It's only by him he calls us, and then we say yes. He enters into us, and his, and we start to walk in his way. That's sanctification. That we're, He's starting to set us apart. Do we want to be like Enoch who walked with him? Do we want to be sanctified? That's what it means to say, I want to understand the Shema. I want to be able to understand this prayer. I want to be able to understand this song. I want to be able to sing it in my own heart because I love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. The Shema can provide daily opportunity to examine faith lived out. And we are called to do that. What wife or husband would think talking to their spouse once a week for an hour is a good thing? Hmm? Would, I, I bet you some people would get in trouble if they only talked to their wife once a week here for one hour. Do you think that passes for God? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself as to whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, not know yourselves, do, do, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you are disqualified. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that we beheld his glory, the glory as of the one who begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Marriage in this day... And love has grown cold, oftentimes because of the church's lack of teaching. Man and women loves, love each other as long as they are getting what they want out of the relationship. Have you heard it? He makes me happy. She makes me happy. She's exciting. He's exciting. Do you love each other? Oh, yeah. But there's no commitment. There's no boundaries. It's whatever makes their emotional day. When they wake up in the morning, this person is exciting and fun to be around. But what happens when somebody else comes in? That person's more exciting. Or they start to see the person's true ways, and they're saying, it's not fun anymore. Or that person starts to age, or something happens, or they lose their job. And now it becomes a, a burden to be married, which happens. Not because people are bad, because it happens. Without commitment, without laws and boundaries and statutes that are a commitment to each other, it falls apart. And that's the same way it is with our relationship with Christ. 180 degree rule, different from God's definition of love. His definition of love, it didn't come for me. I didn't, I didn't have this overwhelming love feeling till later. But my, that pastor that answered my question so honestly it's growing, but I can't see it competing with this little baby right now who's just given to me. There's nothing he could imagine loving more at that moment. Or his wife has got another one. The Shema. We see the love Jesus had for the Father in the garden when he says, I will take this cup. That's what his commitment was. His commitment was to his bride. He says, and he listened to his father who sent him, I will go. He was completely obedient. We look at Jesus, he was completely obedient to his Father. He did his Father's will. Following Jesus is about love, and love is a verb in action. We too must take good, long drink of the cup and carry our cross. For Israel and those who follow Christ Jesus, the love means faithful obedience, covenant relationship. Obedience to these laws is not about legalism or trying to earn God's favor. It's about, love and act, it's about love and active listening. 
listening to God, listening and learning and comprehending his, his, his word. We are all called to join Christ in loving each other in knowledge and in truth. But how do we get there? With our existence, everything that we are is to love God in action, obedience, covenant, faithfulness. We do it because we need to repent. Remember that word, repent? What teaches us that we need to repent? What shows us our ways, our errors? His statues. It's like, I, the other, I got a ticket the other day. I was driving down the road. I made a little thing around a car, and a cop was behind me. I broke the law. I got a ticket. I will repent by paying a little ticket, right? It's the way of, the, it's the way of this, it's the way of this my, my city. Well, God's kingdom doesn't want us to even have sin to enter into it. But for now, we repent. We don't have, we don't have to make a sacrifice. The law is no longer holding us to, to the blood sacrifice because Jesus is the blood sacrifice. He is the law fulfilled. Law showed us our sin. Commandments become our, our consciousness. Beatitudes, the blessing. Beatitudes means blessings, right? The blessings. The first and the longest teaching intended for Israel. Jesus unveils the foundations and character of his kingdom. You know what that is? Righteousness is the standard of his kingdom. <laughs> okay, if that's what it is, you know what? I thought the Old Testament was tough. Then I, then I came to the Beatitudes and he, I was like, wow, this is really, this is some strict stuff. This is even worse. If I even think this stuff now, it, 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 he didn't make it easier. I mean, can you imagine being the Jew of those days and not knowing that Jesus was going to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? And he's saying, if you even think you're going, you're, you, you're, you've committed sin, my kingdom. That was Unbelievable. He teaches the guidelines that serve as the foundations and the walls of righteousness that characterizes his house, now in part, but fully in the future. What does that mean, now in part, but fully in the future? We're not there yet. If, if anybody is walking in fullness of Christ right now, perfectly holy, without a sin nature, come see me after this, I need to repent. The law was hard. The teaching sermon on the mount is worse. God is holy. We need to be perfect and love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Okay, sermon over. Right? <laughs> That's impossible. This is the impossible commandment. Today, the definition of happiness and blessings is to be tended on our terms. But it was never intended that. They say that the world opposites attract, right? Does that, does that, let's use our, our, our a theology test. Does that match up to the world, to the scriptures? No. God wants us to be like him even though we are opposite of him when he met us. He wants, to be, he wants us to be like him at the end. Did you know that? We, we're unique and we're, we're our own people. But when it comes to our consciousness and our rebellious ways, he wants us to, he wants unity. Remember, on, remember when the Holy Spirit came down the first time? All the languages, everybody was in perfect unity. That's the kingdom of God that had fallen down from heaven, the fire. 
perfect unity because we won't have this division in us. To love God that intensely seemed absurd, impossible when I first read the Shema, but what changed? This is it. What, how do I get there? It's called the Holy Spirit. It's impossible for people to understand unless they let it in. They call, they bow, they surrender. Not on their own terms. It's, it's about going under that water and being washed and coming up new. What does, God say, what does God feel when we fail to love him with the holy boundaries that in covenants outlined in the scripture is intended to set us and bring us unto the unity of Christ? What does, God, what does Jesus feel? You know what? He feels the same pain and sorrow the same way you feel when you're betrayed. Did you know that? The king of kings feels that same pain? When somebody stabs you in the back or says something bad about you or whatever, he feels that with each one of us. And I've caused him that. But yet, he let me know that he heard my cry from upon high. Genesis 24, Abraham seeking a bride for his son. You guys might know the story. Remember Abraham? And he went and they said the unnamed servant to go find a bride. Abraham, it's Genesis 24, Abraham calls on the eldest servant of the house and made him swear to find a proper bride for his son. The servant is the steward who had charge of all of Abraham's property. He was the manager and administrator of the whole estate. His mission was to seek a bride for Isaac and Abraham's son. This unnamed servant is a type of the blessed Holy Spirit seeking a bride for the blessed son. He does not speak himself. He takes on the mission of the bridegroom to win the bride. That was a picture of Abraham sending it out. If you read the story, on, on the servant that went out and led, led, led him to his bride and brought him together, that's what the Holy Spirit does for you and I. The unnamed servant that Jesus had to send, that's why he had to die, to bring us into relationship with him. How do you explain that? You can say it. I, I've heard it. But how do I digest it, internalize it, and experientially live it? This is the, I know this is the desire of Lowell. He wants to be able to preach that to everybody. The pattern is to show us the way. That's what, this, that's what the pattern of the un, un, unnamed servant is. God gave us so many clues and patterns. and we, 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 It's hard for us not to miss it. However, John 16, 13 says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, again the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whoever he hears will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what, my, what, of, of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare to you. <laughs> That's what the Holy Spirit will do. He's the bridesman. He's the, he's, he's the matchmaker. How do I... How, so when I, when I read this, I had no idea what this verse meant. <laughs> I, I, when I circled it, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to live up to this commandment to love my God with all my heart, all my soul. There is, a, there is a person in God that is designed to fix this for me. It's the Holy Spirit. And you know what? 
The Holy Spirit, once you understand and commune with him, it changes everything inside of you. I'm not the same person. I'm not the same person I was. Everything that I believe in has changed. Knowledge versus spirit. Sometimes knowledge, when we, when we study the word of God, we can get caught up. I got to learn. I got to learn. The more I learn, the better Christian I am, right? Did you know that knowledge can replace the Holy Spirit if we let it? If we think we can become so smart that we do not need to, to, to fall and listen to the Spirit daily, hourly, moment by moment, all the time. Growth or depending on the, on the binding relationship is not rooted in theological knowledge alone. It must be rooted in the Holy Spirit. Knowledge, to be a super Christian, I see this a lot. All these Christians looking down at the ones that are struggling, but they're people that are going, I want to know you, cannot replace the Holy Spirit. Knowledge can't. It, it, we're called because we die because of our lack of knowledge, but you need the Spirit. It's a critical component. How else could you possibly? That's why maybe people don't want to obey the commandments because they can't because they don't have the spirit. And they don't acknowledge that God knows that they ain't going to be able to, to live up to those laws. Not knowing or believing in the work of the Holy Spirit means your work is regulated by human efforts, philosophies, secular stimulus to produce the appearance of godliness. A person cannot live, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength without the Spirit. A person does not become a believer because of their choosing. They must be called by the Word of God and the courting of the Holy Spirit, and then we must say yes. There is free will. He, he offers us his hand, just like he did in, in Exodus. He says, will you follow me? And then he went up to the mountain, and they all said, yes, yes. And then by the time he came back, they had made the error by the, with the golden calf. But there was a choice there. Follow me. That's a choice. Follow me. Love me. Obey me. He's not looking for perfection. He knows we can't. He, he is going to get us there. But he's looking for perfection, but he's not expecting perfection. Human emotions, however, sincere, are not a true calling. Emotions, like many marriages today, will fade away. There has to be more to it. And that scripture is the defining of God's kingdom. Church membership, baptism, good works, righteousness are all results of accepting the wooing, the courting marriage of the spirit. Those are works. And it's, 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 a, it's a sign of sanctification. Justification, sanctification is to become an enemy of the world. Again, the 180 degree rule. If my theology agrees with social mainstream beliefs, it is wrong. If it disagrees and angers the world's social norms, I'm right on. Prepare ourselves as the bride. Become a new creation. Jesus says, they don't hate you, they, don't hate you, they hate me. Because we're becoming like the rabbi. When does knowledge, transcendental understanding, become consciousness again? When, do we, when does that happen? God proclaims a sinner to be righteous because that sinner's faith in, in, in Christ. You are justified. God is glorified in our willingness of obedience and wisdom and all his commandments. To believe God is to trust his word, and to trust his word is to obey and follow it. That is the process of sanctification. 
Will we do it right? No. But you know what? My first year, I did it really wrong. And now I'm doing it much better, but I'm still doing it wrong. I remember going to Bible studies in my early years, and I was quite the you know, guy that went out to a lot of bars and stuff. Be going to the Bible study, going, wow, I'm going to Bible studies. I, that was hard for me to believe that I'm going to Bible studies. But, and I'd go past bars that I'd frequent. I'm like, maybe I should stop in there on the way back. I'm like, no, I can't be doing that. I still had that. He hadn't gotten that out of me yet. He has now. I didn't think that was possible. I really didn't. But the Holy Spirit. God's final removal of sin, the life of, of saints so that they stand faultless before him like in Beatitudes, in the glory of eternity, that's the moment of glorification. That's when he, that's, remember Jeremiah, he's going to write his word on our heart, his law. Hebrews 8.10 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Romans, Romans 2, 28, 29 says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision that is outward, but the flesh. But he is a Jew who is inward, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. That's what it means to be the Shema. To love your God with all your heart, all your soul. It says, event, you know, it, we, we looked, it says, for it, it will extend your, day, your, your lives. Glorification is eternity. To live in him, in his community. What happened to Satan? He, was, he, was, he, wasn't, he didn't have unity with, with Christ. God had to throw him out. And this is what he created. This is, this is what right now we're living in his kingdom. God's, God's not going to let rebels live within his kingdom. We're going to have unity. What is the service of the heart? The Shema. Prayer is true reverence, fully surrendering. Most important ingredients in prayer is the part that comes from your heart. Pray the Shema. Pray it with your heart. Know that it's not there yet, but it will be. Have confidence that it will be. The Shema is a promise of loyalty, a song of praise for him and his chosen people. It's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a unity. Shema is unity, and it is outrageously impossible, but God. Now, once you understand that, then you can go to love your neighbor as God has loved you. But that's another time. But read it, and, and ponder on it, and talk to the Spirit about it.